listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to Pain.tv slash gold, and I, I am Dustin Gold, folks. Wow. Wow. I am blowing my own mind, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. Is this stuff, like, crazy or what, folks? I mean, seriously, this is some... uh, Next level stuff we're getting into. All right, let me read you this next part because it's very important. And we'll tie all this together with a nice little bow. This is a piece in this article called Genetically Tweaking Human Brains. So we just got done talking about how they have the invasive surgery with the brain-computer interface. They could drill a hole in your skull Uh, tear open the lining covering your brain and then push these thousand electrodes down into your brain with 1024 i mean a thousand wires down to your brain with 1024 electrodes on each one like the Neuralink brain chip that elon musk is doing you know or they can do a less invasive surgery uh, or they want to build this transcranial electronic stimulation helmet this n-cubed helmet that they just pop onto your brain but how are they going to do this folks how are they going to work their way through reading these signals coming through the skull you know without tapping into your head with the brain chip well it says here don't worry because don't you think that the old doctors here these folks working for DARPA, these Dr. Frankensteins, don't you ever think that they haven't figured this out, folks? Trying to pull up the name. Okay, Jacob Robinson, okay, assistant professor of bioengineering at Rice University, who's working at DARPA. So uh, what does Robinson say? Robinson's team plans to use viruses modified to deliver genetic material into cells called viral vectors to insert DNA into specific neurons that will make them produce two kinds of proteins. The first type of protein absorbs light when a neuron is firing, which makes it possible to to detect neural activity. An external headset would send out a beam of infrared light that can pass through the skull and into the brain. Detectors attached to the headset would then measure the tiny signal that is reflected from the brain tissue to create an image of the brain. Because of the protein, the targeted areas will appear darker, absorbing light when neurons are firing, generating a read of brain activity that can be used to work out what the person is seeing, hearing, or trying to do. We call that mind reading, I believe. (laughs) And we're going to get more into this stuff, folks. Don't worry. goes on to say, the second protein tethers to magnetic nanoparticles nanoparticles so the neurons can be magnetically stimulated to fire when the headset generates a magnetic field 
This could be used to stimulate neurons so as to induce an image or sound in the patient's mind. As a proof of concept, the group plans to use the system to transmit images from the visual cortex of one person to that of another. Quote, being able to decode or encode sensory experiences is something we understand relatively well. At the bleeding edge of science, I think we are there if we had the technology to do it, Robinson said. All right, folks, do you understand this? Do you understand what they're talking about now? So they want to put a helmet on your head. And then they're going to use viruses that are modified to deliver genetic material into your cells called viral vectors to insert DNA into specific neurons that will make them produce two kinds of proteins. This is like all like inside your head while they have a helmet that's going to read your mind. I mean, like that stuff there, if I pulled this up and read it to you and told you that this was leaked from the Operation Paperclip files, we found out that the Nazis and the Japanese were running these experiments on people, you go, wow, they were crazy. Folks, this is what we're doing today. Actually, this is what we were doing a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. So you have to say to yourself, if... Operation Paperclip kicks off MKUltra, and MKUltra mind control under Dr. Gottlieb runs from 1953 to 1973, but five years into that, DARPA's founded in 1958, and then going back to 1970, DARPA starts investing in this neurotechnology and brain-computer interfaces, then MKUltra supposedly ends in 1973, But DARPA picks up right where they left off, running these mind control experiments, this neurotechnology, this brain-computer interface stuff, and it fast-forwards all the way up to launching the full-blown brain initiative with all of these different experiments going on. I have it back up on the screen. uh, Electrical prescriptions, hand prescriptions, proprietation and touch interfaces, neural engineering system design, neurofunction activity and structure and technology, next generation, non-surgical neurotechnology, reliable neural interface technology, restoring active memory, restoring active memory, revolutionizing prosthetics, systems-based neurotechnology for emerging therapies, targeted neuroplasticity training, All these things launched out under the Brain Initiative all around hacking the mind, all around mind control, which then leads us, these programs, into the Cyborg Soldier 2050 paper that we're currently reviewing in which they want to use genetic modification coupled with the brain hacking, coupled with bionic exoskeletons and bionic arms, to create these cyborg soldiers that then we started to get into dr peter emmanuel getting to the point where they're saying well it's not going to be fair for the soldiers to have it we'll offer this transhumanist technology to everyone you see this folks paperclip leads to mk ultra leads to darpa leads to 
investment in brain-computer interface leads to brain initiative, leads to cyborg soldiers, leads to everyone in the civilian population being offered the ability to turn into a transhuman freak. The end, the engineering of humanity out of existence, it all ties together. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. These are not just these, oh, Dr. Gottlieb was running MK Ultra. Nobody was overseeing what he was doing. He was just running around with a, with a blank check, just setting up torture chambers over in Europe and Asia. He was just setting up all kinds of dummy foundations and funneling money to universities and prisons to run experiments on people unwittingly he was just allowed to call people expendable and kill them in his torture experiments folks the mk ultra was the kickoff was the kickoff to get to darpa to get to the brain initiative and to get to the cyborg soldiers and if we went back before paperclip and we get into, which we're going to do eventually, the history of the concept of technocracy and transhumanism and cybernetics and the rest of this stuff. It even predates that, which sometimes makes me believe, <coughs> excuse me, did we go to war with the Nazis to steal their technology? Did we go to war with the Soviets to take their technology? Because we wanted a monopoly on transhumanism. If anyone was going to be in charge of genociding the entire human race, it was going to be us. No one would outdo us. We'll be the first to the moon and the first to kill all men. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, and one giant jab in the arm for everyone else. I mean, think about it. It all connects. It all fits so perfectly. This stuff never ended. It's continuing. It's alive and well. And the state sponsors it all. Through the money they hand out, through their cutouts, their puppets, their frauds, people like Musk and Peter Thiel, to the universities, to all these fake private sector, fake private sector Silicon Valley tech companies that are just just running around with bags of cash from the cia and then we are told that that this is just capitalism folks this is the free market it's a free market they all work for the state they all work for the state and you have to ask yourself how this guy gottlieb is any different than the nazis that we were supposedly going over to stop from doing the very things that our own government signed off on and allowed Sidney Gottlieb to do, folks. Mind control experiments never ended. Never ended. MKUltra never ended. MKUltra is alive and well. It's just called Cyborg Soldier 2050 now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we mean, we, 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 uh, excuse me, I am worked up, folks. Wow, that was crazy. When we get back, we're going to jump right into Dr. Peter Emanuel and Dr. Diane Dulius, and we're going to finish that up today over the next three segments. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold.
You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. All right, that was good. That was important because I wanted to make that connection for you. Um, because we had jumped over and started to cover Operation Paperclip and MK Ultra yesterday to kind of give you a foundation for the discussions coming next week. And so that was good. Now we've connected Paperclip in with MK Ultra, in with DARPA, in with Brain Initiative, and then brings us up to the cyborg soldier, folks. The mind control experiments never ended. So when Gottlieb brought the Nazis and the Japanese torturers over here to teach him how to uh, properly torture people and mind control them. That technology is now being used today on our military men and women. So how do you like them apples, folks? How do you like them apples? Very nice. What a wonderful government we have, folks. All right, let's jump into this uh, left of boom. Now, if you remember, this is over at military.com, and we are listening uh, to uh, the future of Bioenhanced Super Soldiers Part 1 featuring doctors uh, Peter Emanuel, who we have up here, he's the senior research scientist for bioengineering at the United States Army Combat Capabilities Development Command Chemical Biological Center. Ugh. Wow. I feel like I just ran a marathon. And then uh, Dr. Diane Duulius, who is a senior research fellow at National Defense University. Her research areas focus on emerging biological technologies, biodefense, and preparedness for bio-threats. So prepare yourself against those bio-threats. I think these Dr. Frankensteins are, in fact, the bio-threats, but, you know, I guess they would probably not agree with that. They are patriots. They are fighting for the end of mankind which is just patriotism folks all right let's pick this back up i rolled it back 30 seconds from where we uh, ended on the last show population then integrate into the overall general force and then how do those people then separate and reintegrate into the society at large and so some of the conversations were very obvious like i told you but then we started to have some questions like what if they're like no i don't want to I want my brain interface, it's inside my head. And then that person, five years later, goes to the Bellagio Hotel in Las Vegas and wants to go into the Blackjack area. (laughs) I'm sorry, sir. Okay, so this is the part we were talking about when we ended with this last time. What he is referring to here is that a soldier goes and gets the brain interface and let's say it gives him superpowers and now he could go as he says to bellagio and play blackjack and he wins and so how is the civilian population going to accept him when he comes home because they say wait a minute there uh captain america hold your horses there incredible hulk oh calm down wolverine 
And so this is the question. So how are they going to now meld this person back into society? Let's continue. Talk about card counting. They, you know, I mean, how does that work? Last time I went to buy a car, they're like, I don't know. I need to go back in the manager and see if that offer will work. And he comes back. He's like, my manager said, he's like, I heard everything your manager said. How do you do that? Yeah, I think, Peter, that's, that's right. And um, while you were talking, I was also thinking about when you were, you were saying if there's somebody in a unit that's um, got the, the brain machine interface enhancement, think about the level of trust that goes, that goes along with that, right? Because we know we're using technology every day on a daily basis, you know, so, so I've got my cell phone here and I want to figure out how to go somewhere or I want to look at what's the traffic between here and there and how long is it going to take me and all that kind of stuff. But this is still an extant piece of technology, right? I can look at this and I can I can determine how much I trust this thing's ability to get me where I need to go and to tell me what the world is like out there when I go there. Now imagine if it's someone, a person, who's providing that information to me because they're receiving that information in their brain and conveying it to the rest of a military unit. Okay, so what she's talking about here, you obviously could hear that. That was pretty easy to pick up. But she's saying right now, you pull out your phone, you pull up Google Maps, you look where you're going, right? But now you're in a unit. Let's say you're driving in a car. Let's just look at it in, in uh, you know, in terms of your life, not military. You're driving a car with your spouse and uh, another couple, and you're going out to dinner or something. I don't know. And so now the spouse of the your friend, right? So this woman, she's got a brain chip in her head. And she's sitting in the back seat. And she could just pull up Google Maps inside of her head. And so she'll say, turn left up here. Turn right over there. Turn left over here. Turn right over there. Take another right. Take a left. How do you trust that person uh, as your leader that they're basically a walking smartphone? All right, let's continue. Imagine the level of trust that has to happen in that context. It's not an extant piece of, of technology that I look at the information and I decide for myself. It's essentially a person who is absorbing the information and then telling me and telling the unit here's what we're going to do, here's where we're going to go, here's how it's going to happen, and it's all happening inside that person's brain. So it's a different way of it, that those other people are relying on technology that's being filtered through a human being at this point. So it's a very, it's a, as Peter said, I, we can't say it you know, enough, it's a game changer. It really is a game changer. And now put that in the context of we're working with another country's military, same thing. So they're getting information and technology that's filtered through our enhanced people, um, and they have to trust that. Right, yeah, oh yeah, it's all about trust, folks. Oh God, I don't know what would happen if I can't trust the uh, Incredible Hulk, right? So this is part of what they're talking about, and you're gonna see in the next piece, in part two of this discussion with the two gentlemen from the ethics side of, uh, don't worry, they've thought through all of this. They know how they're going to sell this to the American public. And so part of what they're going to do here is they're going to end up offering a solution to the problem 
which is that everyone should readily be able to access this superpower. All right, let's continue. What does that look like? So I want to I want to actually piggyback on something Diane saying this word trust. So mm-hmm. one of the first what really started this whole study was an argument that we had. We that argument that you and I had. <laughs> How unusual. <laughs> it was a conversation. So Listen to these two. These two psychopaths that work for the army writing a paper Cyborg Soldier 2050. Uh, co-authoring this with others like Dr. James Giordano, who we're going to get into um, pretty soon. They're just sitting there and laughing about this. This is funny to them. They're talking about hacking humanity, and it's just a joke. It's a joke. So ask yourself, what is the difference between doctors Peter Emanuel and Diane Dulius and Dr. Sidney Gottlieb? What's the difference? Honestly, what is the difference? They're both working towards mind-hacking humans. They're both working towards mind control of humans. I mean, what's the difference, folks? There is no difference. There is no difference. These are the Nazi scientists running around within our country now. All right, let's continue. It's fun, funny, I'm sure. <laughs> so the problem was is that the conversation that Diane and I had escalated to a whole room talking about at the time, a Chinese researcher had genetically altered the embryo of an individual, which is an ethical red line. It's an ethical red line, folks. We talked about that guy before, too, the Chinese guy who had genetically modified uh, the children. And I told you the geneticist that I spoke to said that they were actually born with like non-human DNA. They were actually a new form of being. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff, but that's uh, what he's referring to there. And that's an ethical red line, folks. But forcibly giving people LSD, torturing them to death, you know, that the United States does, that does not cross an ethical line. And uh, building out these cyborg soldiers, genetically modifying people, Growing babies in synthetic wombs, DNA splicing, putting brain chips inside their head, mind uploading, creating digital twins, and corralling people into a cyber metaverse. Not a red line. This stuff is accepted, folks. This is normalized at this point. But genetically modifying a baby, that crossed an ethical red line. All right, let's continue. And there had also been a previous study out of China that they had increased the muscle mass of a dog to make the super dog. And, and there was a general line of, of discussion about the fact that some countries had ethical boundaries that the United States was unwilling to cross. And then we realized that we didn't really know whether it was the state-sponsored idea or whether it was just individuals. And, and then we asked ourselves, well, what, what is the willingness of a Western country or an Eastern country to adopt a, a cyborg? So we started to look out there and we found uh, one study inside only the United States that actually tackled that. It was by um, uh, the Pew Research Institute. And we. Okay, this is important. And I read a little bit uh, about this to you from the Cyborg Soldier 2050 document, which is up on the screen for the video audience over at pain.tv slash gold. And so don't worry, folks, because they've thought through this stuff. They have thought through this stuff. 
So what would be the willingness of Western society to accept the idea of superhuman cyborgs? Let's continue. We actually asked, we went and we visited Carrie Funk and she ran that study and they, uh, they interviewed like 4,726 individuals and they asked them, they're like, what do you think about technology and how scared are you and are you excited? And, and ultimately what they found was is that the majority of them were um, wary of these uh, breakthroughs and they were concerned about where the, these things were going and that that concern was tracked to some extent with their awareness of the technology and the more they knew about it, the less were likely they were to be concerned and also uh, tracked with their religious affiliations and um, the more religious people were, the more they tended to have ethical uh, boundaries. Okay, let's pause this for a second. Let's pause this for a second because there's a couple key points that he is making there. And I'm going to back this up so we could listen to that long-winded answer again. Let's replay that. Actually asked, we went and we visited Carrie Funk and she ran that study and they, uh, they interviewed like 4,726 individuals. Okay, so they interviewed about 5,000 people, all right, on this question about technology, the fear of the technology, the technology merging with uh, man, basically. All right, let's continue. And they asked them, they're like, what do you think about technology and how scared are you and are you excited? And, and ultimately what they found was is that the majority of them were um, wary of these uh, breakthroughs and they were concerned about where the, these things were going and that that concern was tracked to some extent with their awareness of the technology and the more they knew about it, the less were likely they were to be concerned. Okay, the more they knew about the technology, the less concerned they were about it. Now, you have to ask yourself how that could be. If you take someone like myself, I would probably be in the top, you know, one percentile of people in the United States with, you know, a fairly decent understanding of this type of technology, transhumanist Frankenstein technology. You, if you've been listening to my show, are also probably in the top one percentile. Uh, and I'm sure you've done your own research on this stuff. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be interested in what I'm talking about anyway. But so people like us that are very aware of this are against it. I would assume you are. I am definitely against this. So you'd say, well, how come their study says if people are aware of it, they are more likely to not fear it, more likely to go along with it? Think about that, folks. See if you can come up with an answer. When we get back, I'm going to address that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 